Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Tapper. All right, here we go. Number 68. Wow. I'm John Tapper. This is my No Excuses podcast. And hello, everybody. Last week was a best of. Thank you, Corey, for putting that together. It was a great episode. People had great comments, and I appreciate everybody's understanding. My little dog, Winston, had major surgery. He had a huge growth on his liver, and I had to remove about a third of his liver. But he, his surgery is complete. He's in recovery. And the little guy's doing great, Corey. Oh, that's great. Which is amazing because he's about 13 and a half years old, and the guy's just a little freaking trooper. His name is Winston, so... Spending time with him and Nicole during that little family crisis was really important to me. So thanks, everybody, for enjoying my best of. But, boy, what a freaking week last week was. So I was in New York for the media tour. And, she's uh, uh, did everything from Fox and Friends to Barstool to Bro Bible to Home and Family to, to uh, uh, I can't even remember all the media that we did in New York. But what was really fun for me is in each city we went to, Corey, we did Taffer Mixologist taste tests. So, for example, on Barstool Sports, KFC and John from KFC Radio, I blindfolded them, made all seven of the Taffer's Mixologist cocktails, right, the Bloody Mary, yep. Pina Colada, et cetera, blindfolded them all, and they all had to tell me which one they thought they were tasting. I was pretty impressed. They all got seven out of seven. And they all nailed it. But now I just finished. We took a, a 60 professional liquor salesmen and just did a blind taste test of Truly. Oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Of Truly, White Claw, and Taffer's Sparkling Craft Cocktails. About 80 people in the room with placemats where each one had a circle and each one was placed in a circle and blah, blah, blah. And out of these almost 80 people that were there... 100% of them, Corey, chose Taffer's. Wow. It just happened an hour That's ago, awesome. man. I was blown away. Yeah. I, was like, I know it's good, but the comments we're getting online are just incredible. So I am really proud of Taffer's Mixologist. Our cocktail mixers are now in Walmarts nationally, and every Walmart nationally. Different stores have different flavors, but uh, there are seven flavors available. I'm not sure which flavors are in your store, but whatever it is, I'm, I guarantee that you'll like it. And it's just really exciting, Corey, to bring a product to the market like this and have people love it. Yeah. Okay, John, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to come in there for a second. Okay. I'm going to try something. All right. So I have strawberry basil right here for you. Okay. I'm going to pour you up. Make sure you so I got a nice glass with some ice. A nice John Taffer custom glassware. So you're pouring a Taffer's mixologist? If we're going to talk about Taffer's mix... I'm going to drink Taffer's Mix. So this is strawberry basil, and people ask me where I came up with these flavors. After I think about this, Corey, I've done 186 bar rescues. Each one has five drinks in it, and I taste everything on bar rescue. and make, make a lot of it myself, but taste all of it if my experts are helping or if they do it. And uh, so after 186 bar rescues at five recipes per bar rescue, 
I've made like a thousand freaking cocktails. And and I'm trying these flavors, and a lot of them I make myself, Corey. You know, some of them are made by the experts. Some of them are done in collaboration of my experts and myself. But I've come up with these great flavors over the years. And one of the ones that I've really loved, which was created on a bar rescue set, was strawberry basil. And we created infusions with strawberry basil, and I've been playing around with strawberry basil for a long time. So that was one of the flavors that we included in our, in our Taffer Sparkling Craft Cocktails. So that's how strawberry basil came to be. It actually happened on a set of Bar Rescue. So did cucumber jalapeno. Yeah, I was going to say, that's an interesting combo. I'm curious to try that one. Yep, so that one sort of came out. And that's sort of a slight variation, believe it or not. Of the Resurrection, which was the famous cocktail that I did at Spirits on Bourbon, which was actually made more with coconut water than cucumber. But still, it, it was a, a cocktail that got us going in that direction of these really light and, and uh, really fresh flavors. But, you know, the cool thing about a seltzer is it's 5% alcohol, right, just like a beer. But uh, uh, my seltzer is only 100 calories only uh, 10 grams of carbs, no added sugar. So what's cool about them, Corey, is they're not syrupy, they're not sweet, you know, and I think the reason why the whole seltzer craze is going on is because they're different than a beer. They're not as heavy as a beer. They're not as malty as a beer. Uh, they're light in flavors. They're not sticky or syrupy. So, you know, I think they fit the time. So all of these seltzer brands are just blowing them off the charts. Yeah. Okay, let's do something fun. We As soon as we posted that on Twitter, People just, it absolutely blew up. So I got some Twitter questions here, and I want you to answer them in three words or less. You ready? Do some rapid fire. Where can people find the seltzers? Florida, Texas, California, and Nevada. What is a seltzer? A seltzer is a uh, carbonated water. A hard seltzer is carbonated water with about 5% alcohol. And then what flavors are going to be available? Strawberry basil. Cucumber jalapeno and pineapple coconut started now, but we have a bunch of other flavors, including Taffer's Original, which come out in the next couple of months. Calories, alcohol content, sugar? Calories are 100, sugar is none added, and 10 carbs. Why are seltzers skyrocketing? I think because they're light and they're clear. There's no artificial colors or anything like that in them, so I think they fit the time. Is it just a fad? I don't think so. I think they're here to stay. Will you be shutting down White Claw? I certainly hope so. Does it tell me to clean my kitchen when I open the can? You got to listen really carefully, like a clam shell. And if you listen really carefully, I'm not going to tell you what you'll hear because I, I want it to be a surprise. John, how did you become a genius? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've quite gotten there yet. <laughs> all right, that's all I got for you, John. So, forgive me, I'm eating my M&M here. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't tried... Uh, Taffer's Mixologist, which are my cocktail mixers, or Sparkling Craft Cocktails. Check them out because I guarantee you'll like them. If not, you can call. You can say, leave me an audio clip, right? We'll put your insults on uh, in the dark, and you can get to voice your opinion. You know, my wife, Nicole, is pretty amazing, and uh, I'm incredibly proud of her. Uh, what has happened is Las Vegas Magazine every year celebrates the eight most charitable women in the city of Las Vegas. So these are women who, you know, are at at the soup kitchens, Corey, you know, they're they're the ones that are not only writing checks, but, you know, they're at the orphanages, at the hospitals, and really making a difference in the city. And uh, Nicole was picked as one of the eight, and she's the 2000 Vegas Gives honoree. And she's representing Keep Memory Alive, 
which is uh, the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health here in Las Vegas. But I'm incredibly proud of her. And in this event, she's competing against seven other women for their charities. So we're all competing to raise money for our different charities. And if anybody wants to support Nicole and support Keep Memory Alive and a charity that I'm on the board of and very involved in, you can do so at keepmemoryalive.org. Keepmemoryalive.org. And I got to tell you, if you could go there and donate $5, $10 under Nicole's name, I'd like her to win this freaking contest. Because there's a lot of people there that can write a lot of big checks. So I'm hoping Nicole wins and we raise a lot of money for our charity. So, interesting month. It is. It's October, finally. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it, it, is, is, it is now the, uh, the month of impeachment. Oh. So, so uh, um, in the spirit of the month of impeachment... I thought I would, again, highlight the wonderful activities of our federal government when it comes to creating national holidays. And I'm guessing at some time they will probably create National Impeachment Day because I'm guessing <laughs> this is not going to freaking go away because it hasn't gone away in two years, so it's not going away now. But while we're having our impeachment month, <laughs> we can have – you ready for the ones this week, Corey? I'm ready. Let's hear it. I got some good ones. National Chewing Gum Day. Oh, I'm chewing gum right now. National Hot Mold Cider Day. National Love People Day. F*** that. <laughs> <laughs> National Black Dog Day. Well, that's cool. National Hair Day. National Homemade Cookies Day. National Eat Fruit at Work Day. Jeez. National Produce, or National Produce Misting Day. Wow. Huh. You got any produce at home? Uh, Maybe. <laughs> you should miss it. Okay. National Custodial Workers Recognition Day. National Name Your Car Day. Have you named your car? Oh, uh, actually, I have. What's the name of your car? Taco, because it's a Tacoma. So I kind of see so you named little, the Taco. Oh, okay, play so, on words there. I got you. Very creative. National Pumpkin Seed Day. National Coffee with a Cop Day. <laughs> National Coffee with a Cop Day. Hopefully, they're not fingerprinting you at the time. <laughs> National Techies Day. National Boyfriend Day is Thursday. Oh. And your truck has its own day, Corey. I can't believe it. Friday's National Taco Day. Oh, there we go. <laughs> National Golf Lovers Day. And National Vodka Day is on Friday. So Friday's the perfect day to run to Walmart, get a bottle of Taffer's Bloody Mary mix, get your vodka, and have a Taffer's Bloody Mary on uh, National Vodka Day. National Get Funky Day. Can you freaking believe these things? National Rhode Island Day. National Do Something Nice Day. National Apple Betty Day. What's an Apple Betty? No idea. I'm guessing it's like a, a tart, a muffin. A, if anybody knows what an Apple Betty is, send me a note. Let me know what the hell it is because I have no idea. National Coaches Day. National Orange Wine Day. National Plus Size Appreciation Day. <laughs> National Mad Hatter Day. National Noodle Day. It's interesting that National Noodle Day would be the same day as National Plus Size Appreciation Day. Interesting, isn't it? So I wonder if there's a connection there. So those are the acts of Congress, the, the days of the week. That I don't know why I do this. Do you know why I do this, Corey? I don't know. It's kind of fun. Is it kind of fun? You guys yeah. like when I do this? Because I find it interesting myself. Yeah. But, you know, there's other interesting things going on. For example, there were thieves that actually stole a $5 million gold toilet seat from Britain's Blenheim Palace. Now, if you were a Brit, and many Brits are pro-royal family, not pro-royal family, right? They're about having a monarchy or believe that the monarchy should end. 
But in theory, all the money of the royal family is derived from Britain, correct? Yeah, that's true. How would you feel if you were a British subject to know that the royal family has a $5 million solid gold toilet seat in their palace? I'd probably take it and melt it down, <laughs> like think, whoever did. Think of all the people that they could feed with that yeah. freaking toilet. Oh, yeah. So I mean, sometimes these things are a little offensive, particularly when it's public money that does it. So, World War II veteran breaks down a scuba diving record at 96. He broke his record for the active, uh, oldest active scuba diver. 96, man. Wow. And the New Jersey guy wins a lottery for the second time in two years. He won 250000 once, and then he won $2 million the second time. Pretty cool for him. Didn't you have a gardener that, that happened to? I did. It's an amazing story. When I was a kid and I was growing up in Long Island, we had a gardener who used to come to our house, and he actually was a maintenance man for the town I lived in because this was his side job. And he'd come to our house, and he, my father loved his garden, and, and his, his name was, was uh, Jack. And Jack would come, and he'd, do, he'd work in a garden in his uh, green maintenance suit from the city. And for years, Jack came and worked in our garden. As a matter of fact, Jack came to my bar mitzvah. That's how close he oh, was. Wow. He was to my family because he had worked for us for years. And, and Jack and his wife were there. I'm sorry, it wasn't Jack. It was Joe. It was Joe. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, so Joe wins an instant lottery in New York State, like one of the first lotteries that they had. And he wins like $100,000. And the family's talking at dinner when we hear about Joe winning the lottery. And we say, is Joe going to come back to <laughs> do the gardening next week? Or are we never going to see Joe again? Sure enough, the next week, Joe's there in the same green suit, still working as a maintenance guy for the city, still keeping his side job, doing my family garden. And that was that. It didn't really affect Joe very much at all. It wasn't long, Corey. It was only about two or three months later. Joe wins the big lottery for New York and wins a million freaking dollars, which was Dang. a lot of money back then. Yeah. And that was it. We never saw Joe again. <laughs> and I'll be right back with In the Dark. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Support for John Taffer comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. So I must say, we've all had sweaty balls at times. You've had it, right, Corey? Oh, of course. Well, you know, there's nothing worse than sweaty. But also, there are times when I must say I've sort of uh, uh, cleaned my crop, right? Cropped my manhood, if you will. That's one way to put it. Yes. So, so Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, which is obviously a very painful thing. So Manscaped is really an incredible company, and manscaping accidents are really a thing of the past now. They have a crop preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Think about it, Corey. You put deodorant on your armpits, right? Right. But why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? That's true. Manscaped are great products that help you really protect your family jewels, keep them fresh, toned, ready for business, and ready for public viewing. And you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TAFFER at manscaped.com. TAFFER at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Shut it down! So I've been playing around with the concept of... uh, 
doing some type of a bar rescue insider show, and I'd love to know everybody's feedback on that. You know, a lot of other people have uh, after shows and podcasts and things about bar rescue, but I've never done one. And I have an interesting perspective, so I'm toying with the idea, just toying with it, of doing another podcast, maybe in 15, 20 minutes or so, and having that available every Monday, and it would be my impressions, inside stories, and sort of the backstory of that week's Bar Rescue episode. And I'm thinking about doing it, but I'd be curious to know what you guys think. So if you like the idea, post it on social media for me. Let me know what you think. And if enough of you think I should do it, then, Corey, we should probably do it. Yeah, I think so. If nobody mentions anything about it, I'm guessing I should probably not do it. (laughs) So, you know, there's nobody better to ask than all you guys. So tell me what you think. And if you want me to do it, then uh, we'll proceed and go ahead and do it. But, Corey, I'm always scared to ask this because sometimes I think they're going to be terrible and they're not. Sometimes I think they're going to be not terrible, but they are. But you have some audio clips for our In the Dark segment? I do. Uh-oh. Am I in trouble this week or not? I haven't even listened to them, John. I kind of like it I kind of like it that way. Really? So so this is completely in the dark. So oh, you're yeah. going to play a clip we have no freaking idea what it is. That's right. We don't know if it's a guy or a girl. That's right. We don't know if they're going to tell me they love me or to go or to go screw myself. <laughs> That's right, yep. Okay, let's see what happens. All right, turn the lights off. <laughs> I'm a huge Bar Rescue fan, and I'm loving the No Excuses podcast. You actually have inspired me to stop making excuses in my own life, which has kept me focused and determined to constantly make things happen. I want to thank you for that, first and foremost. But now to my question. Um, I, it seems like your cameras are always perfectly set up for your recon days. Do you tell the people in advance where they need to sit before making their orders so that your cameras are perfectly placed on them? Um, also, as far as the audio goes, how does the audio work so well? Do they have earpieces in, or is there something else going on? Like, you would assume that there's some echoing in some of those bars. Uh, thanks for answering the question, and hey, great, great podcast here. I'm loving it. Well, let me answer your two questions. You know, we have a great sound crew, and and what we'll do is we'll typically put some people with microphone. But my recon people, remember, are my people. So so I get to talk to them, and and, uh, so we will mic the actual recon people. And you're very astute as a fan, and I don't know if if other fans have thought this, but yes, uh, I don't want cameras all over the recon people because I don't want the bar to pick up on the fact that they are the recon people. So we have cameras that are built into the bars that we put up in the ceilings and on the walls that we call robo cameras because they're controlled by joysticks in our control booth. So what I'll do is I will tell the recon people, sit in these two bar stools. But then the problem becomes, how do I keep those bar stools empty so a customer doesn't sit in them? So what I'll do is I'll take two crew members, sit them in those stools, and they'll sit in those stools until the recon people walk in. Then they'll stand up, get out of the stools. The recon people will sit in the right stool so we know they're on camera, and nobody knows that any of that happened because we're using our robo cameras rather than the shoulder cameras. So that's how that happens. So, so since they're my recon people, uh, I'll do that. Sometimes I'll even text with them. You know, order another drink, order a beer, try this, try that. So sometimes I'll text with them as well so that we can communicate from the car. But that's how it happens. So they are mic'd, and we do sit them in a location where we make sure that we can get what they're doing on camera. Other than that, uh, what happens is what happens. If it's good, they say it's good. If it's bad, they say it's bad. And, you know, the rest of it is just whatever happens that night. All right, not too bad of a start. Let's move on. Hi, John, fan of the show. My question is, has there ever ever been a time where a bar owner or manager had made you laugh, but you had to stifle it for the show? If so, what was the funniest one? Wow. I'm trying to think. 
when an owner, yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking of one. There was an episode I did in Tennessee. It was at uh, uh, something, I can't remember which one it is. It was with the husband and the wife and, and uh, something bottles. Anyway, uh, uh, we did the episode, and the husband was an incredible dick to his wife. So she's cleaning toilets and mopping floors, and, and, and he's doing nothing. So at the end of me watching all this, I now have them standing next to each other, and uh, um, I'm screaming at him. You know, how do you do this? How do you let your wife do this? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm really embarrassing him in front of his wife. And I looked at him, and I said, how big do you feel right now? And he held up his two little fingers with about an inch between them, sort of signifying uh, uh, that he felt about an inch tall. And I looked at him and I said, not how tall you are, how big your dick is. And then he made his fingers even smaller. And that's about the only one that comes up to mind. Unfortunately, it didn't make the cut. Jeez. <laughs> one of the funniest ones on set, though, and it was a little vulgar, is there is an episode of Bar Rescue, and I was shocked that this made it to the last episode because the way Bar Rescue works is, you know, we make the show and then we have cuts and we all look at cuts and there's about six or eight cuts till it becomes final. And the first cut's maybe 70 minutes and the next cut is maybe 60 minutes and the next cut's maybe 50 minutes and we work our way down until we get the right amount of time for the show. And that's the way we go through the cuts uh, uh, as the final episode is built. And uh, I never thought that what I'm about to tell you actually would make the cut. But amid a bar... And the employees are screwing this guy something terrible. And I looked at him. I said, they blanked you hard, they blanked you long, and they blanked you deep. And the word started with F. F'd you long, F'd you hard, F'd you deep. And I said the word. And it was in the episode. And when I said it, the crew went crazy. They couldn't believe I said it to this guy. They, they f***ed you hard, they f***ed you long, and they f***ed you deep. And it made it to the second cut. We couldn't believe it that the network didn't pull it out. And then it made it to the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth cut. Son of a gun, it made it to the episode. Now, they bleeped out the F word, but they left the rest of it in. And if any of you ever seen that episode, that is one of the funniest moments that's ever happened on Bar Rescue. And I never thought it would make it to TV. And those are the little things that make Bar Rescue great and that keep it real. You know, or, or, you know, the way we go at recon, the way we try to fake people out and where they sit and what they do. And it's amazing how fake sometimes we need to be with the way we set it up. So just so that we can keep it real. You know, talking about keeping it real, I love Sid Wilder. Sid Wilder is, is a beautiful actress, comedian, writer, director. She's really pretty incredible. She's one of the biggest influencers on the Internet. And she creates her own content, her own comedy. She does skits on, on all various types of television shows. And you all know Sid when you look, up, uh, look her up and see who she is. But I've been really excited. And, and for weeks I've been trying to get Sid to come on the show. Because she has a great story to tell us about how she got where she is. And she's just really, really funny. And I'll be right back with Sid Wilder. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions, and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again. Free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. 
No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. Man, what a great time of year. Beautiful weather and football is right around the corner. And if you're looking to add some excitement, make BetDSI your betting partner. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site, and most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game to you bet at BetDSI. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Okay, I've been looking forward to this, and I'll, I'll tell you a secret. I had... Sid Wilder on set to talk last week, Sid, right? And we had, I don't know, she wasn't available, then I wasn't available, then something happened on my schedule, then something happened. So this is like a vendetta that the two of us have had to have this interview. And I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, uh, So, Sid, uh, I am a fan of of your work, not only online, but the work that you've done, you know, your television work and the other work that you've done over the years. But, But... is being a fan of your work is one thing. I'm I'm really sort of a fan of you, uh, uh, and I don't I don't want you to blush, but I love your story. So those of you who don't know Sid, you know Sid is is a huge. Uh, uh, I'm, you're going to blush. Probably a huge influencer online. You got almost a million Instagram followers. You know, you're an actress, a host, a digital influencer. You're a producer. You're a comedian. By the way, very funny one, I might add. You're a director. You're a writer. You are, are are unbelievable in in your energy of creativity. Thank you. I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> I bet you don't. But but you know. And then when I think about all the things that you've done, from you know Jay Leno sketches to to, to all sorts of you know from Huffington Post to Playboy to, to I Am Bored to and then the work that you've done in all other types of mediums. You have really mastered not only creative thought, but you've mastered the ability to distribute it yourself. Yes, and that's been the hardest part, honestly, because I really admire you being such a great businessman. And I'm like, 
man, I wish I knew how to delegate tasks to other people because I do everything myself and I struggle with burnout all the time. You know, it's interesting that you say that. And I want to talk about that again for a minute, but I want people to know a little bit about you. And I loved when I was reading your bio and I was getting ready to talk to you. There was, uh, you're there very was... prepared. I'm looking at you. I'm highly impressed. Oh, I got papers everywhere. I got I got the scoop on you, Sid. Okay, so there was I didn't write this, so don't be mad at me when I read it. So somebody wrote that, quote, you were your average fat kid with high cholesterol and a boy's haircut. Luckily, puberty hit her like a freight train. And a few years later, she grew out her hair and it is a black. It's hard to read and and coasted into the uh, favor of Los Angeles. That's that's actually a great story. So when you started and you were really young, when you were that age and you were that young, you know, young girl with the short hair, did you ever think you'd be in show business? Absolutely not. I sang in church choir and singing was always a passion of mine. And I loved, I actually got a record deal in Nashville and my mom was like, no, it wasn't the right situation. So we turned it down and I got the acting bug. Were Were you mad when she turned it down? No, because I knew, I mean... Obviously, I wanted to move to Nashville and sing, but I I knew even then that it wasn't the right situation. But the fact that I got an offer was pretty big. So I was like, okay, well, I got something here. How old were you? I, uh, I was 14. Wow. So at 14, you loved singing and you got an offer for a record deal yeah. in Nashville. And your parents said, this isn't right. Yeah. And you didn't go crazy because I would have gone nuts if my parents wouldn't have let me do that. I know you think, well, I just put my energy into something else. So I was like, okay, well, if I can't do that, what can I do? And it's very mature for a 14 year old. It is. It is. So- <laughs> I'm like looking back at it. Cause I was not the most mature person. <laughs> I guess I was in that regard. But yeah. So I started modeling and then acting. And, and so, so interesting. So it, at 12, you played the lead in Cinderella. Was that your first role? My gosh, I swear to you, you're like James Lipton right now. How do you know all of this stuff? <laughs> oh, I, I believe me. I tell you, I did my homework. <laughs> was that your first role with Cinderella when you were 12? I, I think I might have been a little younger. I think I lied on my resume a very long time ago, which is why I called you. You're like, you did some great research. Um, I think I played it when I was like seven, but wow. I lied on my resume to make it look more current. <laughs> And then what I loved about this, from fat girl with short hair who consumes too much cholesterol to competition cheerleading. Oh, yeah, I did that. I I was on uh, ESPN. So I I, uh, I won a national title with uh, Georgia All-Stars. I was a competitive cheerleader. That was a lot of fun. So when you were like in, in 11th and 12th grade in high school. Were you like, yeah. were you like a jock? Were you like a creative <laughs> actress kind of person? Were you like a nerd? Were you cool? Prince in Los Angeles. I graduated at sixteen, moved out to L.A. I was homeschooled, so my you know traditional eleventh, twelfth grade. I was here in Hollywood, going out to the clubs, dancing on stage with Prince, hanging out with rock stars, and creating art. <laughs> so. so- I'm guessing that that played a lot into who you are now. Probably. I think it probably did in good ways and bad ways. <laughs> yeah, well, I can relate to that, Sid, because when I was younger, you know, I ran the Troubadour and Barney's Beanery in Hollywood when I was younger. So those, you know, those were the wild times for me. Uh, Wait a minute. Uh, 
What years? So I ran a troubadour. Oh boy, this is uh, oh, long before you were ever there. I ran a troubadour around 1980. Ran Barney's Beanery around that same period, 80, 81, 82, 83. Who and, were the big bands then? When I ran the troubadour, the big bands were. Uh, uh, first of all, when I ran, when I came into the troubadour, the punk thing was still going on. Okay. So I remember when the Dead Kennedys car was in front, the Cadillac was in front of the Troubadour. I can remember mm-hmm. bands like Fear, Black Flag, Adam Ant were all playing at the Troubadour. Then I knew all those guys then. They all hated each other. Uh, oh. uh, um, Fear I was particularly close with at the time because they were from the Valley. And then I remember when sort of the new wave, the quote new wave thing happened. So yeah. bands like The Knack, remember The Knack, My Sharona? And, yeah, and, yeah, and other bands like the Rubber City Rebels and and, and uh, all of them, and then you know a bunch of others over those years. But so those were my sort of years, like where you were dancing on stage with them. I was sort of working there, but it was the same kind of a thing for me. And I yeah. think I think that those years do form us in, in a lot of ways, Sid. You know, they but do. They so, do. it makes you more mature when you're later because you're like, okay, I don't want to party or do. I want to work. All I care about is getting my work done and hustling because you know that's always there. And I was growing up at the Playboy Mansion, too. I would go there all the time when it was relevant. It's so weird to think that that's not even existing now. And I'm sure it's the same way with you. Like, you can go back to the Troubadour, but you can never really go back. No, you You can't. But hold on a second. You're not getting past this Playboy Mansion comment without us talking about this for a minute. So how did you get to the Playboy Mansion? Well, I was born with a big idea, no sense of time, obviously. (laughs) And uh, my sister was a playmate. So I would just go up there with her all the time. I'd go to the fun in the sun. I'd go to the Easter parties. Wow. Yeah. So like a lot of my friends were playmates from all different years, from like 97 to the current ones, which at the time was 2007 and on. And yeah, and I, I used to shoot them. I had a photography company for a little bit. And I was trying to put a coffee table put together with just like playmates with their clothes on. And I never ended up finishing it. But I got <laughs> some really cool photos, some really cool stories, and met some awesome, amazing people that are still my friends today. So you were homeschooled. What, yeah. what, what years were you homeschooled? Ooh. Um, so I think I started in 2002. And then I just kept going. So you were homeschooled in what then? Uh, 10th, 11th, 12th grade? Is that about right? Um, yeah, I would say that. Okay. So, so, so uh, I've always been curious about this because I've only spoken to a few friends who have been homeschooled. Being homeschooled, do you think that affected your social experiences of those years? Did you have Mm -hmm. less friends? Did you have, did you find that there was, you know, a difference in, in, in the way that you grew up socially? Because you are clearly not socially uncomfortable. Right, you, and, and that's why I asked Sid because you're extremely confident, you know. And I can picture you dancing on those tables in those clubs when you were young, and I can picture you standing next to these unbelievably beautiful Playboy bunnies, and I picture you holding your own next to any of them. So, so yeah. where did that come from? Well, to be honest with you, John, uh, I used to sneak out when I was little and in Atlanta when I still lived in Georgia, and I would dance battle, and I would, like Eminem did with rapping, and that's how I learned to dance, because no one in L.A. dances. It's very frustrating. Yep. You go out, and they just stand there, and then they look at you. The girls don't want to sweat, and it's a totally different vibe when you're in Atlanta. So I, I think I got a lot of my social activity through sneaking out, going dancing, <laughs> And kind of where I learned my love of dance. But I never felt like with acting, too, I'd always go on auditions, even in Atlanta. And that kind of was my social group. So even though I was homeschooled, I never felt like I was isolated. And even today, what's really interesting, when I come home, I kind of decompress because I'm both an introvert and an extrovert. 
So I kind of like the balance of both of having my alone time and then, you know, going out and being social, but I'm definitely not the girl who likes to go out all the time and be social all the time. I like to have a good balance of both. Boy, you know, nobody's ever quite said that to me that way. I want to talk about this for a minute. Introverted and extroverted. Mm-hmm. And, and you know when when you would say that to people, a lot of people would say, "Ah, that's crazy, that's crazy." I completely freaking get what you're saying. I Thank totally you. get what you're saying. I'm that way, and I never realized it until you said it. Really? Yes, because I'm fine, you know, being extroverted on camera and doing my whole thing on camera. But I need my alone time. I do. Yes. I need that downtime, and I need it my, maybe more often than some other people do. And and maybe it's because I'm surrounded by crews and people, you know, very often when I'm in that extrovert mode, if you will, because I'm in in, in that kind of a place, that it makes the time alone much more valuable and much more important to me. If I don't get that introvert time, to use your term, and I never looked at it that way, I thought of it as alone time. But if if I don't get that time, I'm screwed for days. I can't get myself, I'm, I'm like imbalanced somehow. So yes. you call it introvert and extrovert. Interesting. Yes. So and like when you work, do you need that time? Because like when I work, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to feel like I'm putting on a show. I just want to shut off. Yeah. You know. Well, yes. Even when I make Bar Rescue, for example, when I make Bar Rescue and the cameras turn on, you know, I walk out. I I I you know interact with people and do what it is I do. And of course, it's not script or anything. So it's just I'm doing what I feel. Uh, yeah. uh, and then the minute I'm done. So okay, I'll see you. I walk out of the room and I never say a word to them off camera. There you go. They never see me for a second off camera. And uh, then I'll go back to my tr- – and it'll be alone time. And that yeah. time is – I think that, that, Sid, I couldn't be successful if I didn't have that time to get my shit together so that I yeah. could be successful. <laughs> That's like your sound bite right there. I love that. So so what do you do in that alone time? Is it is it alone time or introverted time with other people? No, it's alone time writing. So like I write, I plan out, you know, what my week is going to be like, what my what depending on what project I'm working on, whether it's a sketch, whether I'm setting everything up for, you know, a travel episode where I'm doing a couple different people whether I'm um, shooting God, a movie, I have a, a book that I'm working on that I'm trying to you know, make sure I have to make that time and allocate that time just for that because I have a lot of different projects going on and the more creative they are and the more emotional energy they require, um, it can be really draining. <laughs> so I yeah. just like to have that alone time to myself. You know, it's interesting. So, so you have a bunch of projects going, but I'm guessing six, eight things going on, maybe more. And yeah. I, I do too. And people often say to me, how do you stay organized with all that stuff going on? And how do you create your priorities? And, and, and uh, you know, I find that I almost don't want to be too organized about it, Th- that I want to move everything along every day. So let's say that you have eight projects Sid, for conversation's sake. You got the book that you're writing, right? You got a couple of sketches that you're working on, and that's three or four. You got something for YouTube that you're working on, right? You got a couple of other projects, blah, 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 blah. So you got eight or ten things. Let's call them balls on your desk. You got okay. eight balls on your desk. Right. I need to move every ball a little bit at least every day okay. or, or I get mad at myself. But yeah. I, don't, I don't push myself too far in advance to say I got to move this ball before that ball or that ball before this ball or I got to move that ball more than this ball or I got to move that ball faster than this. I don't get into that kind of stuff. I find that the pace of them tends to manage themselves. So you now will write this book yourself, correct? 
Yeah. You I will then have editor yet. <laughs> you will then sit down and do the sketches yourself, right? Yep. You will then do your on-camera work and produce your on-camera work yourself. Yes. Wow. You see, yeah. I look great because i got a bunch of people around me. You look great by yourself, which is really incredible. So yeah. where did you learn? I get where you learned how to be an actress, and I, I can see where you got your confidence. And, you know, Sid, look, you're really a lovable. You're a really sweet, incredibly approachable kind of person. You're just really likable. So I get all that about you, that people would like you and you'd be fun to work with. And I'd love to work with you. I bet you'd be a blast. I got to get you on Bar Rescue. You'd be a blast. But, but, but my point is, where did you get the mastery of social media like you've developed? Because I get that you've developed great comedy timing. You're really good at it. You know that. And, you know, you can make us laugh from our gut, which which is a great thing. But, you know, if nobody sees that comedy, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and you're not relying on other people to do that for you. So when you sit and say, oh, gee, John, you're a great businessman, you know, I look at you and say what you've accomplished on social media and your business practices are pretty damn impressive, too. How did you learn that? Uh. I am a very persistent person. I don't quit. I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I've been in this business since 2007. And social media wasn't even a thing when I moved out here. I didn't know. I mean, MySpace was barely popular when I moved to Los Angeles. So when, when Instagram came along, I was like, wow, this is an interesting medium. And I didn't. it didn't really honestly take off till I did Playboy's top 10 hottest YouTubers with my clothes on. And I met the social media girl there. And she really taught me so much about how Instagram worked, how to manipulate the system and get as many views and followers as possible. And it really took off in about, I think it was 2015. And I just started growing and growing and growing and it it really helped. Okay. So what are your projects right now that you're working on? Give me the scoop. So I'm working on my book. Um, I'm doing a lot of um, different articles for mental health and suicide prevention awareness, which is really something I'm very passionate about right now. Yeah, do you want to talk uh, about that for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Ask me anything. How, how did you get that passion for this? You know, tell us how you got connected to this because it is an important thing to you. Yeah. So in 2012, my stepfather Bobby killed himself, and I was in the next room. And at that time, I was uh, 21 years old. It was very difficult for my mom and I to process. And we were all very close. And, you know, I didn't know how to talk about it at that time. It was very challenging for us all as a family. And now, seven years later, it's been it's been really wonderful to be able to connect. And I, I'm so grateful I have this platform that I can share my story and hear other survivors' stories. And I went through a really, really bad marriage. Like I said, I was, I'm divorced. And... I can't even tell you how many other things happened during that time, but a lot of, I do on my podcast with the Rebirth Anniversary series, but I notice when it's episode 33, 34, 35, and I just get into everything. But when, I, when I'm talking to other people about that, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't think I can get into the nitty gritty of everything and we don't have time for it. But if you want to listen to those episodes, you can find out my whole backstory. But I also am a suicide um, attempt survivor and I didn't share that story for three years because it was obviously something really personal, but now it's important for me to share because you would never know that. If you look at my Instagram, you look at all of these things that, you know, I post and I was still working and still, uh, you know, I was, my, I was horribly cheated on and it was just a really, really bad situation. But when I got to that place, 
but I, I recovered from that and I'm still, I'm okay. And I just think it's important to let other people know that just because you get to a dark place, doesn't mean that you can't come out of it. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that you can't still live your life as a normal human being and people should treat you with the same amount of respect and not treat you like you're a crazy person. I completely agree. Stable. I completely agree. I'm on a board at Cleveland Clinic and, and work with the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. So neurological, uh, 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 degenerative neurological diseases. So, so you're exactly right. Uh, people should be treated with dignity, regardless yes. of those situations. Let me ask yes. you a deep question, if you don't mind. Go for it. In those dark moments, were you more disappointed in life, or were you more disappointed in yourself? I was disappointed in myself because I basically got married. So instead of getting a dog or a tattoo, I got married. That was my coping mechanism within four months of knowing someone. So imagine this. My grandfather was like my dad died. Three weeks later, my stepfather died. And then my boyfriend, who's also dead, ex-boyfriend, we broke up Jeez. for like the hundredth time. <laughs> and, and it broke my heart. So the first guy I met, I married within four months. I was, you know, 23 years old at that time. And then I found out he cheated on me and I kept getting infections and I didn't know what was wrong with my body. So I mm. kept getting like bacterial infections and then ultimately it turned into cervical cancer. I had the surgery. I filed for divorce. I left. I found, I find out I have cancer after. And then all of these horrible things happen. And so imagine this Instagram model with cervical cancer with being cheated on that ruins your self-esteem, you know, finding out I can't have kids, finding out all these horrible things over and, and like moving too, just moving in itself is stressful. But like the home that I thought that was going to be my home forever is no longer my home. And it was also the anniversary of my best friend's death, the one year anniversary when I moved. So it's just all these things combined into yeah. one. So, and uh, so what I, my was, headspace was just, I didn't, I couldn't see past tomorrow. So you know? where was your source of, source of strength, Sid? Was it in that I have to do better than this for myself? Was it the fear of things getting worse. When you're in that spot, where did you find, you know, that that spark to help well, you step out of it? And that's such a great question, John. <laughs> Are you ready for this answer? Yeah. So um, I did a lot of drugs, which weren't the great thing. It's not the. I don't recommend that to anybody who's yeah. going through a dark time. Don't drink or do drugs. Yeah. I did both of them. And I ended up being my, my first episode of Girl Interrupted. I'm with my therapist who yeah. 5150 me. And I had to go to a psychiatric facility. Wow. While I was in the psychiatric facility, that is where I found my will to live amongst the most unlikely people. And it was very scary. And I don't want anyone to ever have to be in that place. Which is why I talk about please get help. If you notice yeah. something that's wrong with you, you don't want to have to be at that point. But I really found my fight because I, I was like, you know what? I can either make the best of the situation, or the worst of the situation. And it was not a it was not a very good place to be. But when you went into the group therapy and if you actually listened and you wanted to get the help, it was there. And that's what I did. I was like, you know what? I'm letting all of these outside things take away my soul, take away who I am. I'm not defined by a man. I'm not defined by my job. I'm not defined by anything else. I am myself and I need to love myself. And I, I need to work on myself. And I pray. I'm, I'm a Jesus believer. I'm a cursing Christian. I'm not a perfect Christian, but I am one. <laughs> and I don't throw my religion down anyone's throat. If you want to, you know, be whatever you are, be it. But just believe in a higher power. And I think that can also help someone a lot because that helped me a lot. You know, I always find that for me, fear is a huge motivator. Yes, you know, it is. It you know, propels you. It does. You know, to me, fear is one of the greatest things I can have. 
because yeah. I don't because I don't freaking like it. So so I'll do whatever it takes to get rid of that fear. I just won't succumb to it. So you know, it makes me climb you know harder or jump off a cliff or whatever it is to do to get rid of that fear. So yeah. you've had some really great successes uh, uh, over the years. <laughs> you know that. I mean, some wonderful television successes. And, and so so uh, uh, talk about interrupted for a moment. Girl interrupted. Yeah. Um, so Girl Interrupted, it was a podcast I started. Oh, and I was going, it's so funny when I try to talk about all this stuff. I'm like, gosh, I've been through some shit. Um, so last year I was going through the third year of my divorce. I was married two years. And um, I was in, uh, I was just like not that happy. And I was like, what can I do? Like, what can, what goal can I set? And I was going on auditions and stuff, but it didn't feel like mine. And I was like, I've always wanted to start a podcast. So I started my podcast as a birthday present to myself. I just turned a year old. And it's been on the top iTunes comedy interview yeah. charts. And I, I'm just like, wow, that's – and I've interviewed some amazing people from Natalie Eva Marie to – obviously, I love having any mental health practitioners on. And Dr. Danielle Delaney is one of my favorites. And a lot of different influencers. And the rest of the season, I think, I'm going to do for my podcast is just have a bunch of healers on because I'm really in that mode right now. But it's just been something that I really love and I'm really passionate about. And – I can't wait to tell you all the different guests I have lined up because they're pretty amazing, but I want to like keep it under wraps for now. <laughs> so so uh, um, you're driven by creativity, it seems. But you know, when you tell me these stories of these darker periods of your life, I mean, I'm looking you in the face and I'm seeing somebody who's incredibly happy. I mean, your happiness radiates from you. So you are a really happy girl, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I, I love being happy and positive. You know, that's if you can be anything in your life, you can choose your own attitude. Why would you choose to be negative and angry and miserable? Yeah. You know? So so what motivates you? Are you motivated by the recognition? Nothing wrong with that. No. Are you motivated by the fact that you can make people smile? Nothing wrong with that. Are you motivated by the fact that you're touching a bunch of people, right? And emotionally or in some fashion? Are you motivated by the fact that you're building a brand for yourself and a presence and cloud and all of those wonderful things? Are you motivated by the money? If you had to pick one, what is it? I love connecting with people and I love telling stories that help people feel less alone and inspire them to be better people and to feel okay with being who they are. I mean, even if they're a mess, you yeah. know, it's okay to fall apart. You can put yourself back together. You know, it's interesting that you said feel less alone. And, yeah. that, and that goes back to that dark spot. But yet, people like you and I like to be alone. <laughs> it's interesting yes. when you think about it. But you're not emotionally alone. You're physically alone. Yes, there's the difference. And yeah. you can still be in a relationship with people and feel like you're alone, you know? And that's not the right relationship, you know? Yeah. So that's Certainly not. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what's coming up? So so I, oh, I want to ask you about one more thing. I got to ask you about the Playboy yeah, Project. I got to ask you about the Playboy Project. Oh yeah, which so, one? So how so so talk to me about how you started with Playboy and and, and how that went and and uh, uh, the top ten event. Tell me all about that because it's a great story. I think I'm sensing it is. Yeah. Um. So what's funny is I wanted to be a playmate, but I never tried out or auditioned or anything because my sister was one, and so she was like who I admired and looked up to, and being around them all the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be in this community and club. And then once I started doing YouTube, I was like, well, if I did that, it probably wouldn't be good for ads anyway, because they would probably, I probably wouldn't get as many sponsorships. So 
you know, it's fine. It is what it is. And then they reached out to me and I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of awesome. What do you want? And they were like, we'd love for you to be the top 10 hottest YouTubers. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I felt so honored to, to be in that club. And I was with my clothes on and I was with some of the girls that are still my friends with Nikki Limo and uh, Jessica Francesca and um, sorry, Lauren Francesca. And it was a great shoot. They came over to my house and we had a good time and yeah, I was I was honored to be a part of that little community. You know, it's interesting when you say community. A lot of people don't know this, but Playboy Bunnies have an a secret online community, right? It's a it's a website where they log into, and, yeah. and old playmates they all communicate with each other. And bunnies, by the way, it's more of a bunny than a playmate thing. But yeah, all the yeah. old Playboy Bunnies have these. I guess it's their, they might even be Facebook pages, but because I've communicated with them on those pages because I used to work with with the, them years ago. But they are a community, and all the older retired bunnies all communicate with each other, and they have like social events, and they're you know not media friendly. You know, they do it privately. But it's yeah. amazing that they are in fact a community, Sid. You know, all these years later. Which they is incredible. Are, wait, so what did you work with them on? I'm fascinated. I worked to know about that. on Playboy clubs years ago. So, so I used to, and then years ago, I tried to to uh, uh, reinvigorate Playboy clubs. So we reached out to a bunch of bunnies, and we were trying to get memorabilia and you know stories and get them involved. And that's when I found the online community and started communicating with all of them. And I found something interesting, even the ones that were old, and a lot yeah. of them were old. All of them were so proud. Of their experience, and you know, you, you listen to you know a, a one female view is it's exploitive. They did this, they did that. But you know, when you talk to the actual girls, they don't feel that way at all. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. they're pretty proud of the experience and what they did and what they went through. And you know, Jenny McCarthy's a dear friend of mine. She's another example of you know more contemporary example of going through it and being proud of it. But you know, love- they don't think it was exploitive at all. So, no. so, so that was really a big uh, 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 jump start for you. What do you want to do now? You've done all these different things. I mean, if you had to pick one, what would you do? Gosh. You know, Jacqueline Suzanne was one of my favorite novelists. And, you know, I don't really, when you ask me if I like to do it for the recognition. Uh, that was pretty steamy stuff. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Valley of the Dolls is my favorite novel. Um, I got to tell you something. It's, it's believe it or not, and I don't read those kind of books, but yeah. Valley of the Dolls was one Badass book, boy. I remember the book. And how about the movie? I think had uh, um, what was her name? Um, Duke, Patty Duke, wasn't she in it? Patty Duke was in the movie. The movie was amazing too. If anybody's never seen it, Valley of the Dolls, a heavy book. It is a heavy book, but you know what's crazy too? She got diagnosed with cancer, Jack, because she was a failed actor, and she was like, "What am I going to do? I want to write." And I'm not saying I'm a failed actor. I'm really grateful for everything I've done, and I love creating content that I've I've made. But I I kind of like being behind the scenes, and I'm okay with doing both. But writing is definitely something that I'm very passionate about that I want to pursue seriously. And directing, maybe it's just the hours are really hard on you. You know, you're working like 14, 16 plus hour days, and yeah. you know, writing is it's a, a different animal. I just don't want to be too isolated because I do need to have some sort of human interaction. So I'd like to write a couple of novels. I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm writing my book right now, which is great. What's the book um, about? Continuing my, oh, it's it's kind of more of like a. Um, autobiography like essay short essay stories but like little vignettes kind of thing yeah exactly okay exactly Um, is it funny 
Oh yeah. But that's the thing. I have to be careful when I talk about mental health and being funny because I can, the way I cope with things is I laugh a lot and I make you know, a lot of jokes about my experiences, but some people that don't know me think you're making light of it. Right. They think you're making light of it. But in fact, not. you're not. I lived it. I can talk about it and laugh about it. Like yeah. calm down, but everyone wants to get offended about everything. So I'm like, okay. I won't get too, you know, funny in this book. But yeah, so that and continuing my podcast. I love my podcast. You know, it's interesting. Lisa Lampanelli was on on this podcast a few weeks ago. And we were talking about, because she completely retired, got completely out of comedy, has nothing to do with it now, was sort of a life coach. And we talked about, you know, when she was in the middle of that political thick of it, and she started saying these outrageous things on stage, and people either loved her for it or freaking hated her because she was like this political opposition. And, you know, she's not only the sweetest person you ever talked to, but she was saying, that, that wasn't me. That was a bit. You know, I did a line. I got a great reaction. So I did a couple more lines. I got a great reaction. Now I got a bit. Now I'm growing a bit. And, and you know, when you say these things, people always think it's you saying it. But you're really playing a character at that moment in time. And you're putting forth something that is supposed to be humorous, not a conviction of yours per se. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's where I think as an artist you can get really lost in, in your brain and in your feelings and – and I'm, I can't believe she stepped out of comedy. It's so interesting that you told me that because I think of her a lot. And I, I wondered where her career would go. It's kind of like even with Playmates. Where do they, where do they go after right. they do that? Right. What do comics do after that? So like female comics, I feel like are a totally different breed because we obviously expire or we're going to be Joan Rivers. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but Lisa literally walked away when she was busy. I mean, her calendar was full. She had bookings. And I mean, she just, the politics got so heavy and the hate and the whole thing that she just said, screw it. And, and now she's a life coach and she's, she's darn good at it, by the way. She's I a bet. great... But it's just interesting when, you know, when you were talking about how you know, there's a separation between you as an individual and you as a comic. And you'd yeah. say things as a comic that you'd never say as an individual. And yeah. you know, some people don't always understand that. And in today's divisive world, that sort of sucks because it limits what you can say as a comedian, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, that's why I, I mean, I stepped away from doing stand-up for a, a lot of different reasons, but that was definitely one of them. And what yeah. – Hard is like my brain was trained for stand up growing like literally once I moved out to LA I was doing stand up classes I was doing stand up at 19 18 I was doing improv so I learned to write my feelings I learned to like exaggerate things I learned to you know everything I did was for the stage or for a bit or for an act and so now that I'm 29 and I'm like oh shit I gotta like tone things down a little bit but I'm not used to that I'm just not used but to it but that's not you but that's not no. you so, so it's hard. It's been a life adjustment, John. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine, Sid. You know, it's interesting. When um, I was on Forbes TV a few a few months ago, and they said to me, a few actually a couple years ago, and they, and they said to me, John, you know, what are the major elements of success in your view? And I'm wearing my suit and my tie, and I'm you know my my dark business suit, and I'm on Wall Street in the Forbes building, and I'm being very corporate and you know in that role. And, and you know, I said integrity, uh, uh, obviously knowledge. And humor. And the interviewer from Forbes just sort of like sat back in his seat and said, humor. How is humor an element in the success of business? And and my comment was, I don't want to be with anybody who doesn't make me smile personally. 
I don't want to partner with somebody who's a bummer. I want to partner with somebody who makes me smile. I want to be with somebody who I have a good time with. I mean, to me, you know, making money and smile is really powerful. I think people that don't have good humor don't make it uh, as far ahead. But I think that's the case in life, Sid. And that's my point. And when I look at you and and the life that, that you've lived and the turnarounds that you've done in your life, the holes you've stepped out of in your life, You've learned the power of humor. Yes. You've learned how to lighten heavy things up within your own brain using humor. And you've learned to use humor as, as a, an asset to move your life forward. Not only in a way that you write it, but in just the way that you use it in your, in your day-to-day life. And that's a powerful lesson for everybody listening. Oh, thank you and very much. It is. Nobody wants to be with a bummer. No. So so in humor is happiness, but in humor is success. In good humor is good success. In great humor, I truly believe, is great success. You know, listening to Sid, we should also consider the fact that, that, that in the darkest of holes, if you can find humor, you can dig yourself out through that little smile, that little crack of relief, of happiness, of opportunity. I think that's who you are, Sid. I oh, think Thank you. <laughs> I think that you have learned the power of comedy. You've learned how to convert it into good feelings and you've learned how to make that a positive thing. And I think that is an incredible gift. And I think it's important that you share this with people on your podcast and that people who get into these dark moments can look at you as an inspiration of saying, wow, you know, maybe I just got to fucking lighten up. You know, maybe I just need to, to, you know, look at things as not all that heavy. And maybe in humor I can find opportunity. When we go to job interviews, you know, if you make the person who's interviewing you smile once or twice in an interview and laugh, he's more likely to hire you. When you're working for someone, if you can make them laugh every once in a while, they're more likely to promote you to spend time with you. And dare I say, if you're a political candidate who can laugh at yourself, you know, and be genuine, maybe you got a better chance of being elected. My point is this, a life absence of humor is a life not worth living. And, and, you know, I think that's the lesson in in Sid Wilder. John, I'm so impressed with this. Did you write (laughs) this? Because this sounds like it's a beautiful speech that you spent all this time writing. No, I just actually came up with it after talking to you all this time because I really think that what you've been through is a wonderful story that will inspire us all. And to me, the centerpiece of your story, to me, is the fact that you found humor. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am honored to get to meet you and know you and hearing your stories, even with the Forbes. I mean, what a cool story. Uh, and how you related that to everything that we're talking about. You're just a badass, John. Uh, thanks. So, Sid, I know when you were younger, you did your drinking in your day. Sid. So, do you know a good cocktail from a bad cocktail? I know good wine from bad wine. Okay, that's a start. <laughs> I'd love to get you on Bar Rescue. We could have some fun. Would you be open to doing it? I would be open to doing it, but I have a request. Yes. Whichever bar I go to needs to have a bar where you can dance on top of. Okay. I love Coyote Ugly's layout of having a bar to dance on top of. And I'm a big believer in dancing on top of kitchen <laughs> kitchen countertops and bar tops. <laughs> gotcha. So we got to make sure we got the ceiling height for you then. 
Yes. If we got the ceiling height, you're good to go. Sid, this was a lot of fun. Tell everybody where they can find you online and where they can, you know, find the projects you're working on. Yes. Okay, you guys can find me, Sid, at girlinterrupted.com. If you want to email me, my website's coming up in two days. I can't wait to share it with you. Online, you can find me at Girl Interrupted Online or Sid Wilder if you want to see my comedy skits and everything else. Terrific. This was a lot of fun, Sid. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. You know, it's always fun to interview people, and you never know what you're going to get. Uh, Sid Wilder's a lot of fun, and that's a great interview. When you think about her story, there's none of you or me or us that's ever been in as dark a situation as she has been in. And look at where she is now. She's probably one of the happiest people I could ever meet. So bleak is not bleak unless you let it be. And any bummer is temporary. Every situation has a beginning and an end pretty much in our entire lives. So get to the end of it, get out the other side of it, and just like Sid did, and that's why I was so excited to have her here. Well, next week I'm off to Northern California to shoot Bar Rescue 187. Our Sparkling Craft Cocktails launch this week in Nevada. Pretty damn excited about that. Don't forget Vodka Day and getting your Bloody Mary mix if you'd like to do that. And I'll see you all next week. I think we're going to broadcast from Northern California next week, sort of mix it up a little bit. Talk to everybody then. Wow, it's time to turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously with T.I. here on Podcast One. Join a rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in an authentic, eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. So download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. I am.